This week on the My Love of Golf podcast, we talk to one of Australia's best club golf pros, Michael Ferroni. Michael's the golf pro at the Mornington Golf Club, which is located on the Mornington Peninsula down here in Victoria, Australia. We learn about Michael's journey on how he became a golf pro, where he did his traineeship and who he learned the skills from, some of his ups and downs, some of his passions, and also about his life as a family man, father to four kids and his beautiful wife, Julie. If you're an aspiring golf pro, you need to listen to this. If you're a golfer who just loves to hear a great story about a golf pro from the suburbs who's made it pretty good, you also might want to tune in. It's a great story. Mark's a passionate guy. He's a great golf coach, and I love spending time with him. So sit back, listen, enjoy. Leave us some comments and some feedback. And if you like, subscribe. Michael, welcome to the My Love of Golf podcast. Thanks for joining me. Um, sitting here overlooking a beautiful golf course. No surprisingly, sitting talking to a golf pro. Where would you rather be? Mike, how are you, mate? Good, Roscoe. Very good. So, um, you know, the reason why I've got you on here is because, you know, how long have we known each other now? How many years? Uh, how long have you been at Mornington? So, yeah, it'll be 12 years into this year. So, I reckon from the very start there at Mornington, I would have met you. So, so I was uh, sought you out as my you know, new golf guru, new swing guru, and um, you put me on a path there back in the day, which was um, probably one of the best things for me in my golf. And I guess since then we've maintained a, yeah, a good friendship. And I appreciate you coming on because, this is, as you know, it's a new venture for me, and you know, it's a golf podcast, so I thought who better to get on is someone who influenced my journey back into the game um, very, very, uh, very much. And in doing that, you know, you've probably got a story related to golf that's as interesting as anyone that I know, and I thought, you know, we should share that. And, you know, I guess that's what I want to do today is just talk to you about, you know, your journey into golf, how you became a golf pro, and what that's been like, you know, since. So, when did you when did you decide that you wanted to become a golf pro, mate? Uh, to become a golf pro, it was uh, well. I did a lot of work I, I, before that. I was managing drum and golf shops. Yep. Funny enough, yeah. uh, and uh, in my time at Drummond's, obviously enjoyed that as a, as a job, and used to get asked for golf lessons a lot because you'd be dealing with people in the fitting room, in the fitting net, and you probably get the same thing. You know, they're yep. always asking, "Oh, what can I do better?" And um, then I started getting lessons myself because uh, I didn't have a lot of lessons growing up. But started getting lessons myself with Dale Lynch. And after about ten months of getting lessons, I remember thinking, "Sure, I wouldn't mind doing this." I actually uh, like what he's doing with me, and I reckon there's something I could do. And I see he gets paid pretty well doing it. I thought uh, I might look at look at. Uh, you know, doing my traineeship as a PGA member to become a PGA member. Sorry, um, I had friends already doing it, so I sort of looked up to them as well. And uh, yeah, so I started to suss it out. I um, at the time I was I was managing drums in Frankston, and I looked at uh, a few 
courses that I you now I guess my, my wish list I'd love to be the trainee at and I wrote down Royal Melbourne yep. I wrote down Metropolitan yep. I was a member of Woodlands at the time and I thought maybe Woodlands as well so uh, don't go for the small ones no no no, no I <laughs> thought no well you know sort of shoot for the stars a little bit so yep. I, I, knew, I knew Bruce Green through my um, through working at Drummond's and he was he was involved at Drummond's at that, that stage as well so I called Bruce told him what I wanted to do and he said yeah good idea good option come and see me we'll have a chat so I went out a chat with Bruce, and he was great. He was, um, you know, told me what it was about, told me what to expect, um, told me, you know, what sort of career I could have as a golf pro, and I thought, this is great. And then at the end, he said to me, you know, after we had that chat, he said, uh, but I don't have a job here for you at the moment. We don't have we don't have room for any more staff, so, but I'll help you, you know, try and get a job. I thought, oh, that's great. Bruce Green's going to help me out, and he, he was fantastic. Um, so I, I drove away from that thinking, Oh, well, I'm not going to work at Royal Melbourne. I better uh, start sussing out the other the other options. And as I said, I had a few others on my list. And fortunately, um, Richard Hatt, who's also the pro at Royal Melbourne um, with Bruce, called me at uh, work one day at Drummonds in Frankston and, and said, "Come in, we'd like to have a chat." So um, off I went the next day and had a chat, and you know the same similar chat that Bruce gave me. And then at the end, he said, "Come and work for us." I went, "Amazing, great." So, you know, top of my list and uh, I got that job. So, straight in, trainee pro, Royal Melbourne. Yep. Yep. Pretty impressive. Sounds impressive. And uh, <laughs> I know when uh, we used to go out, Julie and I would go out somewhere and they'd say, what are you doing? I'd say, I'm the, I'm the trainee pro at Royal Melbourne. And I was a bit older at that stage. I was 28 when I started my traineeship. Most, most of the kids really, you know, yeah. 19, 20, 21, I was 28. So it took me a while to work out what I wanted to do. But I'd go, I'd, I'd be out at a wedding or something like that with Julie and someone would say, oh, so what are you doing? I'd say, well, I'm the trainee pro at Royal Melbourne. They didn't hear trainee. They heard you're the pro at Royal Melbourne, <laughs> and uh, they were very impressed. So it's uh, yeah, no, no. It's for first up, and and I was there for I was there for eight years actually. I did my traineeship, and then five years after that, I was the, the assistant pro with them, teaching and working and fitting, and yeah, it was a great great place to work. Did working and playing golf and being around that environment was it beneficial for your golf at that stage? You know, as a trainee. Oh. I put the time into it. Yep. You know, I, I probably, in my eight years at Royal, I was probably there. I felt like I was there every day, you yeah. know. Um, I, I had a lot of support with, you know, with my wife, with Julie, so she didn't mind that I was doing what I loved and working hard at it. And, you know, I was uh, I was there every day. You know, on my days off, I was practicing. I was playing. I played there so many times. I knew there'd be a stage where when I'm not here, I won't be able to play this course, these <laughs> wonderful courses. So yeah. I, I would have played them. I would have played them a thousand times in eight years. Seriously, I don't know, I don't know if the math's quite right with the amount of days, but it's. Uh, I spent a lot of time practicing, and I, I think to, back to that practice now. I, you know, I do ten percent of that practice now. Yeah. As you get older, you get more things going on. Um, so as far as being beneficial to improving, yeah, absolutely. And and I, I went into the traineeship as a certain level of golfer and, and, and came out a much better golfer. And that yep. was always my goal and my plan. And I had a few goals along the way as a trainee and achieved, achieved yeah most of them. As a trainee, what was your playing career and playing record like? Um, yeah, no, a train, as a trainee, I, I won a fair few events, especially towards the end. Um, you know, I won my first event with about the oh, about the fourth event I played. I remember I shot I shot the course record at Phillip Island or Cows. I'd never played it before, and that was my first event. Won 
won ninety five dollars. That was my first, not my first check. My first check was about ten dollars. I wish I kept it. I didn't keep it. I banked it. Um, but yeah, I, I by the end I was you know one of the top few that everyone was trying to beat. I, I think I won about six or five or six times in my last year. One of my goals in the last year was to achieve a tour card. Um, and what they were doing at that stage is the top three trainees, top, sorry, top five year three trainees in the country got a tour card and I finished third. Um, and that was a goal I'd set and a goal I'd worked towards. And um, not that I was going to use this tour card because although I was turning pro, I actually turned pro to teach and to become a club pro. But the idea of getting a tour card and, and, and trying to play some tour events was, uh, was you know, appealed to me. But um, essentially, I, you know, I turned pro to to do what I'm doing now, become a club pro or initially to teach and then moved on to that club pro position. You played in a few tour events, however, didn't you? You played in a few pro-ams and you were pretty highly ranked in that pro-am you know, category there for a while, were you not? Yeah, look, as, as someone who who wasn't playing full time, who worked full time, yeah. I, I held, held my own, I suppose. I think for the first, I've played a lot of pro-ams, um, but in the first 10 years, I would have been in the order of merit of pro-ams. I was probably in the top 15 to top 20 every year, Yeah, every year. And, and, and when you're in that top 20, you get a start in everything. I sort of I, I sort of measured myself on um, whether I got a start at Portsea at the start of the year. That was the biggest pro-am of the year yeah. and, and only the top 20 plus the tour players plus the invites got a start in that event. And I played that event for 10 years in a row, So, yeah. which would suggest that, yeah, my ranking was pretty good for that uh, that period. And what about the Dent Island? Yeah, Dent Island. So Dent Island, we, we play that when we um, uh, for the Australian Club Pro Championships, or actually it's called the Australian Professionals Championships. So it extends from not just club pros, but to um, guys in positions of director of golf and teaching professionals. So us working, working vocational members, us working um, PGA members. So um, you've got to qualify to play in that. And uh, the last the last three times I've qualified for that event, I've finished second. Um, qualifying seems to be the hardest part. I think I haven't qualified for about three years now or four years maybe. But, uh, yeah, so I've travelled over to, to play that event at Dent Island the last two times and um, come second both times. Once I think I lost by shot uh, and the other time I was well behind um, um, the winner. Um, but, you know, shot a couple of rounds under par, which is tough for that course. That's a really oh. strong, strong golf. It's, it's the hardest course I've ever played. No, no, I was just going to ask you that, you know, and that's why I sort of let in with that because I just wanted to substantiate your excellent credentials even further is that Dent Island, I've never played it, but uh, I've heard that that is one of the toughest courses getting about. Yeah, yeah. And, and the first year I played it there, we had a, it was a pro-am format. So there was a couple of amateurs played with us in the first two rounds and then the pros played together in the last round. And, you know, an amateur would lose 25 balls a round. You know, it's just – you just can't miss the fairway. Um, The first time I played it, I didn't use driver for 54 holes, which was the the length of the tournament. So I hit – I was hitting four irons off off par fives just to get in play. You know, I did a four iron, (laughs) then back it up with another four iron to get down to the middle and then hit a nine iron onto the green. You know, it's a place where I remember the, the, there was a hole there about 380 metres and I, I had 200 into the flag and you couldn't miss the green. You just couldn't miss the green with the wind. Um, and I remember I laid up on a par four and I, I, I remember thinking I've never, ever laid up on a par four like that and uh, laid up and made my par, which was so it was a, it eventually was a smart play. But that course, 
you know, you just can't miss fairways. And and with when the wind gets up here, you've got a lot of elevated tee shots that you've got to try and keep it down. Um, that that first year, I carried a 15 degree hybrid with me. You don't see many of those around. I've still got it. It's a, a tireless 15 degree hybrid. And that was that was a real winner that club around that course yeah. because you know gripping down, gripping up, just hitting off the deck. I don't think I even teed a, teed a ball up because I was always playing you know, little controlled punch shots. Do you think uh, more people could uh, learn about course management to improve their scores? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, it, it's to think to think a whole lot. I was, I was always taught as a young kid to, to play the whole backwards. You know, how would you play it backwards? Um, you know, so and it's not always, you know, the big dog off the tee, the driver off the tee. No, really? But no, uh, no unfortunately, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, get it in play and then work out what you're going to do after that. That's, yep. that's the first thing, I think, and especially at a course like that. What I do see, and this happens to me a bit as well, when, when you play a course a lot, you know, we're, we're both members here at the fantastic Peninsula Country Club and, sorry, Peninsula Kingswood, and um, you become a bit, if when you play it a lot, you can become a bit numb to a course. Mm-hmm. You, you tend to stand up on the tee and remember the best shot you ever hit on that hole, yep. so you try and do it again. So, you know, you'd stand up on a hole like 12 south here and you know you've driven the green before, so what do you do every time? Drive the green. When really the, the design of the hole you know, allows you to hit anything from five iron to driver off that, depending on the pin position as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can become a bit numb to a course and, and not use much course management of as much as you should uh, because of that. And uh, even where you know where I'm at Mornington, um, I drive everywhere now. But I remember when I first started, I, I did five drivers around. Yeah. You know, hit some hit some hybrids, hit some three woods, and yeah, you've got to uh, you know step back a bit sometimes to. And realise, you know what you, how, you know how you should play a hole. How it was designed to be played. So let's talk about Mornington. So when did you start down there at Mornington? So it was nine two thousand and yep January two thousand and seven. Yep, um, I started there. That was my uh, wow. the first club pro job I applied for, and I got it, which was just you know great times, knowing that uh, I I got to a got a role that that you know I was trying to achieve for a long time. I'd left a good job, you know, as the assistant pro at Royal Melbourne's probably the uh, one of the best jobs going around, you know. It's pretty, it's pretty cruisy. It's uh, you haven't got all your money on the line. You haven't got to make all. You don't make all the all the business decisions. And uh, you know, there's, there was plenty of lessons going on there for me. But but you know, I, I looked at what the guys I was working for were doing, and thought, well, that's that's where I want to be. That's what yep. I want to do. So, um, uh, when when the job at Mornington come up, I um, I uh, I actually got a phone call from the pro who knew who said. I'm leaving. You might want to have a look at this. The, the The most interesting story with that, though, was um he used to put the pro there, Sean. Sean Summers used to put me. Great, Sean. I know you'd be listening. <laughs> used to put me, um, line me up in his pro am, which I played every year with uh, with a guy and uh, member there, Ross Ross Schweitzer, and Ross was a main sponsor of the pro am, one of the main sponsors. So Sean would put me with Ross. Um, because he'd think, you know, Michael from Royal Melbourne's going to look after my main sponsor. And every year I played with Ross, I played with Ross for about the first three years. And um, there was a time uh, in the last time we played, I said to Ross, have you ever played Royal Melbourne? You know, it was easy for me to, at that stage to bring uh, guests to play, to play with me. And he said, no, I've never played. And I said, well, why don't you grab a client? I'll get Sean Summers and we'll go and have a hit there. We'll organise a game there. And, and what I was, I, you know, I was thinking, I'm, I'm looking after Sean here, not so yeah. much Ross. I'm looking yeah. after Sean, yeah. or not, or me. And um, so we did that. We went and played. Then when the job at Mornington came up, Ross rang me and said, um, 
you know I'm on the selection committee for the job at morning. I thought, oh, fantastic. <laughs> I've applied. He goes, oh, I know that. I know that. So, uh, you know, that, and I think Ross was uh, a uh, big influence on helping me get that job as well. So for, you know, me trying to do the right thing by someone else, it worked worked out well for me. I actually spoke to Ross the other day and, uh, you know, one thing's very clear that he has still has a very strong um, admiration for you and respect for you and I think, uh, you know, he's, he's still gets lessons from you and... Uh, yeah, he's, but, uh, he's my best he's, customer. He's a great guy. He's a great yeah. guy, is, uh, is Roscoe. Yeah, and supports all my guys in the shop really well you know he's looked after every trainee i've had um doesn't ask for anything and uh although they, they oh, I keep telling me but it's not a it's a two-way street don't just uh yep. take 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 so but we yeah we look after ross and he's, he's more than looked after us over the years it's a really good thing about a golf club is when members you know the camaraderie and the support that you know everyone can provide to each other and uh you know i'm sure you and i know you get a lot of that from the members down there at mornington um Coaching, how, how's the coaching for you down there? So my story with coaching with you is, you know, I remember coming to you and um, you know you had a look at my swing and and you said, what was your old swing like, Ross? I said, oh, okay, yeah, it was different to this swing, and I showed you my old swing. And he said, well, we'll just go back to that. Yeah. And do you, do you remember that? I don't. No, I don't. Okay. My memory of you is still that first tee shot off the off the first in the club championships. Oh, but I don't. I don't remember saying that to you. <laughs> but, but but it sounds sounds pretty good. Oh, I remember I, I'd been taught and I was swinging a certain way and, yep. and I was just struggling yep. with it. And then uh, and you said, "Show me your old swing," which was like the swing that I had when I was sixteen, seventeen. Um, and yeah, I think we went back to that. And I think from there. You know, it's always felt much more natural to me. And the times when I come and see you, the thing, the thing that I remember now is we always finished every lesson with, and I remember the first time we did it, we went behind a tree and, you know, you said, grab your eight iron, now hit some shots to that green around the corner. And you made me hit five draws and then we went to the next side of the fairway behind another obstacle and you said, right, now hit some you know, low fades and low punches behind, you know, out from behind that obstacle to the green. And you instilled in me the value of, you know, planned practice, you know, like not just, you know, slogging balls down the range, which is what you see a lot of people do. And, um, you know, to this day when I'm talking to people, you know, who I watch hitting a lot of balls, I said, well, can you hit a draw? Can you hit a fade? Yeah, I can. Okay, well, why don't you incorporate some of that into your practice? And probably one of the most valuable things that I've ever done is is practice now with a little bit of purpose uh, behind it. And, and you taught that to me. Um, yeah, which and that's great. And I appreciate and it. And purpose is a key. It's, um, you know, I, I teach, we've got a junior development squad at Mornington now with the, the you know, our young guns. And I'll, I'll say to them, don't just turn up to the range, have a, have a reason to turn up to the range. So, Write it down. We've all got our iPhones now or, or yep. smartphones. Write it down in your notes. What do you want to achieve out of today's uh, practice? And uh, because a lot of the time practice for most people is just exercise. There's, there's no purpose to it. It's just slogging balls, hitting balls until you maybe hit five good ones. And I was like that. Yep. I remember that. I remember yeah. my days at Woodlands. I'd just, I wouldn't leave till I hit you know five or six good five irons and I'd be happy with that. But now I don't really how I hit at the range doesn't phase me too much because I know I'm always you know you, you've got a you're working towards something and if you get it right that's good see if you can then execute it on the course but yeah having a, a bit of purpose in your practice is the key otherwise it's pointless it's pointless really 
I just found that at the time my handicap had gone out a little bit and I always wanted to get it back to as low as it was when I was a young fella. But I'd lost the ability to hit those types of shots that you were yep. trying to show me. Yeah. And um, what happened then after learning how to hit, you know, especially the draw, especially the draw and playing at Mornington where there's a lot of wind, a lot of undulation, a lot of different conditions, having the ability to hit that shot certainly was one of the reasons why I was able to get my handicap back down and play better golf because it gave me an understanding of ball flight, controlling um, the ball and using the right shot and shape into different conditions, i.e. the wind yeah. in particular. And, you know, subsequent flow and benefit for me, you know, I've been lucky enough because of, you know, my family and my wife's family to play a bit in Scotland, to play a little bit in Ireland and play on some of those really gnarly links courses in some really gnarly conditions. And that's where that type of shot and, and game and practice really you know, comes to benefit you. And uh, so, thank yeah, you, yeah, thank you, no, if you can, if you need the hit shots, look, that's... That's, uh, you know, if you can see it, feel it, and then hit that shot, that's great. Being, you know, it's not such a bad thing being a bit one-dimensional uh, where, you, you know, you always fade it, which most people like, or always draw it, um, but then that, that ability to change your shot shapes is is great. Um, and then being able to use it on the course. Um, you know, early days, I remember Steve Bann used to work on the nine-shot drill with, with all the elite players. And uh, yeah, I know a lot of, and it's something I do, but I know a lot of good players who still work on that now, in those nine shots. Do you still talk to Dale Lynch? Do you still? Uh, nah, I haven't seen Dale for a long time. I think last time I saw him at a, at a, at a tournament, um, I had lessons. I only had about oh, a handful, maybe 10 lessons off him at the time. Um, this is in, sadly, this is in 1999. So I haven't had a lesson since 1999 myself, personally. Um, but I can tell you, I still work on the stuff he taught me in 1999. Yeah. I still go back to those core, core things he worked on, which and which really helped because I was at a stage there. Uh, I was at a stage in the mid 90s where I was going to give up. I just I was, I was had some real issues with my swing, you know, even to the point where I, I had the yips with my swing, full swing, which is amazing to think back now. And uh, but with the help of um, a friend of mine, and then and the help with Dale Lynch, we got things back on track and to a point where. You know, I got control of the shots I was hitting again and the confidence in the shots I was hitting again. But, uh, yeah, there was a stage there where I was, you know, and to think that I wasn't going to play golf again, but I was ready to ready to just give it away. I thought I was the worst scratch marker in the country at that stage, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I probably, well, I think it was, but it's uh, it, to think back to those days where I, I was pulling out of tournaments, amateur tournaments, because I just couldn't, I couldn't hit an eight iron online. And, uh, and now... Knowing more about the golf swing and being a golf professional, I know what was going wrong. Yeah, um, it wasn't really explained to me by Dale. He just sort of started from the beginning and and got the setup right, and then got the flow and balance of the swing right. And um, but he didn't specifically tell me why I was doing what I was doing wrong. But uh, yeah, he got it back on track pretty quickly. What are some of the big mistakes that you see club golfers making that impedes their improvement? Um, I'm a, look in in any golf swing, well. I'm a big believer in swinging to balance. So having flow and balance. Um, and I think to have good flow and balance, you've got to swing within yourself. Mm. And I see people, you know, we've got the big drivers now, we team up nice and high and we're trying to trying to really kill them. Um, and, and if we can't do that and finish and flow to balance, then we're probably doing something wrong on the way that, that you know, with a poor swing to get there. So... You know, I think uh, 
having that having that swinging within yourself is probably the key there is what i'm trying to get to yeah trying to say there and uh we, we see all these long hitters and we're we you know we we play with these long hitters and then we try and keep up with them play your own game yeah really just play your own game and, and that's i'm not a long hitter by any means i've gone longer than average probably average among the golf pros longer than average among the amateurs but i just play my own game so even, even when i play with you get <laughs> driven by you i just know i can't don't go chasing it <laughs> Be too kind. So, Mornington, you've just extended down there at Mornington, is that right? Yeah. So, um, I've uh, at the end of this year will be will mark twelve years, and they signed me on uh, starting at the end of this year for another five years, which is great. You know, it's a it's a club that's um, you know got their plans, um, are executing their plans, um, and making improvements every year. Um, no, I'm really enjoying my time there, and uh, it's a feel, feel very, uh, you know, uh, yeah, very happy that I've got that that role there. It's uh, it's it's been really good. It's been a good twelve years. It goes fast though; it flies along. And uh, but tonight I've got five to go, and and hopefully another five after that. Yeah, might see me out actually. <laughs> in ten years, it's still uh, I think one of the un untouched diamonds in in Melbourne golf, Mornington. You know, having you know been a member there. In, in the past, um, it's still a place that's very, very dear and fond uh, fond memories for me. I still go down there occasionally and find my little special spot down there at the back overlooking yeah. the water. People should just go and seek it out because it's, it's such a great place to play golf. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, when I first played, I first played as a trainee in 2000. And I remember, th- and, and I'd played every course around. Yeah. I, I thought I'd played every course in Victoria. But I hadn't played Mornington. I don't know why I hadn't heard of it. And and then we, you know, we played a few events there as trainees, and then I played events there as um, in pro ams. And and you're right, it's just it, it's a hidden gem. But you don't want to be a hidden gem no. as a golf club. No, you know, no. You, you want you want to be known. And uh, it's uh, but certainly now with the power of uh, good management and social media, and you know, its exposure is, is certainly lifting, and um, it's becoming a very popular place. A podcast won't do it justice, but you know, if you can imagine Port Phillip Bay and the beauty of uh, Port Phillip Bay as the sun rises or sets, or, or whether it's windy and you know white caps out there, and a view of Port Phillip Bay from basically you know the Queenscliff Heads right back to the city up past Bow Morris, if you can imagine a view of that uh, nature from the majority of ho- majority of tea. holes, yeah, nearly every tee, nearly every tee, yeah, um, it's absolutely outstanding um, and a great place just to go and, and play some golf. So if you want to go and play at Mornington, jump online. Have they, they got some deals at the moment? Uh, yeah, yeah. So they've always got uh, they've got a deal. They've got a crazy deal at the moment. And it's yeah. a crazy deal at $39. 39, 39, 39 bucks for two players? Two players, yep. You can go and play Mornington. Absolutely. And see Mike Ferroni. Get, up, yeah. get a lesson. How many how many trainees have you, uh, you know, you were a trainee, how many trainees have you put through the system down there under okay. your tutelage and guidance? Uh, one, two, three, four, probably about five now in 12 yeah. years, five. Yep, coming up. Got another one starting next year, five or six. Yeah, five, six. Yeah, yeah about that, yep. So one of those is uh, young Dan Griffin. He's uh, he's doing some good stuff in his coaching career. Yep, he's just now. Um, he so he, he coached with me. He worked with me for five years. He uh, had to go on tour. Yeah, for a bit. And as you would, um, you know, gave it a go. Yep. Which you've you've got it, and, and and you know, you can sit back and 
years from now and, and say, say he gave it a go. But he's uh, then moved on to Spring Valley where he's coaching. He only has just started uh, at Ranfurly Golf Club. Oh, good. Where he's coaching uh, alongside Ben Bunny with their new facility there, so new range there. So he's, uh, you know, he's he'll do well there. He's a he's a good coach. He's uh, doing some good stuff with his website and yeah. and his um, social media. And um, you know, actually, the only problem is I, I play golf with Dan every Thursday. That's that's going to stop now because now he works Thursdays. All right. So uh, I need a new golfing partner for Thursdays. So if you're familiar with the name Griffin, you know Dan is the younger brother of touring pro Matt Griffin. You've had a bit to do with Matt too, have you not? Yep, yep. So I started teaching Matt uh, when he was 16. Matt came to me as a at 16 as about a six marker with a, a bit of a funky action and um, but he just, he's a guy who had that ability to middle, middle the ball out of the club every time and uh, he was pretty easy for me to coach. Mm. Um, probably the best thing I did was not mess too much with his you know, his, his action. It's, it's, a, it's a good swing, but it doesn't look like, you know, every other tour player. It's, uh, it's his own swing, um, but his ability to time the ball and strike the ball in the middle was amazing. And his ability, now I watch him play, or from since then, you know, his ability to hit the hit a shot the right distance, he's, he's, he's amazing at that. And uh, But, yeah, I taught Matt for about four or five years. Um, uh, he moved on. Uh, I mean, we had a meeting with... The, with the VIS, Victorian Institute of Sport, when he uh, got a scholarship there and um, I happily handed him over to Dennis McDade and and uh, off he went. He And, uh, yeah, he's, he's had a great career in golf. Um, you know, he's, he's been out there now for probably about 10 years and he's he's won on several tours and he's, you know, he's won the Australian Order of Merit. Yep. I had him back recently with um, doing a session with our junior development um, squad and, and he was, you know, he was fantastic with those kids and they, they loved it. I don't know Matt so well. I've only met him a few times, but he certainly is one of the nice uh, guys of Australian golf. Absolutely, no questions. Yeah, and and uh, and he's a highly intelligent golfer as well. Uh, and I think uh, uh, gone are the days of the there I say the, the the dumb golfer. You know, he's a he's yeah. a he's a very intelligent guy. He's, he's worth listening to. You know, a guy like Jeff Ogilvie's the same. They're worth listening to when they when they talk about golf. It's great. Do you know Jeff? Uh, yep, I grew up playing some golf with Jeff. Uh, played against him. Um, beat him in a match once in uh, when he was about 18. I, I didn't really think much of it until he won the US Open. <laughs> I remind him of it, which he can remember, but I remember now. <laughs> so, yeah, so he's uh, he was a guy we, you know, I've known Jeff since he was about 12 years old, just playing against him and, um, you know, won everything he played in his age group growing up and, and no surprise that he kicked on and won a major. Um, and, uh, I've you know, I was fortunate enough to go to the, U.S. Masters in 2011, thanks to uh, some tickets from Jeff. So me and a couple of mates, uh, off we went, and he uh, he looked after us well and truly there, which was great. What year was that? Uh, 2011. So 2010 was the year that you and I were going to go, but you couldn't go, and you went 2011, and then I couldn't go. Yeah, have you been? No, no you haven't been. No, I haven't been. I highly recommend it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, mate, you've been to the Masters. You've seen the Masters. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, you've also played some amazing golf courses in that part of the world. What are your favourites? What are some of your favourite golf courses? All right, so I've been fortunate enough to play. Um, I've played Pine Valley twice. Now Pine Valley's number one in the world, so which is and you know it's an experience. Um, I've played Cypress Point twice, which to me is that's Cypress Point's number two in the world. But that is if, if you're going to pick a course that you would play every day for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. Cypress Point's your course. Yeah, really. Oh, 
amazing. You know, on the Monterey Peninsula there, you know, right up on the water, um, finishes with some of the best par threes you'll ever play. Um, great experience with the caddies as well. Um, and you look, it's it's very, you know, it's very exclusive. Um, and when you tell people you've played Cypress Point, more, more people know what know the golf course Cypress Point than Pine Valley, definitely, yeah, as, a, sure. as a name. Yep. Um, yep. When you tell people you've played Pine Valley, they think of Pinehurst generally because mm. the US Open's been on there. But, yeah, Cypress Point on the Monterey Peninsula, every day for the rest of my life, be happy to happy to tee it up there. All right. So where else have you played over there? Okay. So I've played uh, Shinnecock. So... Um, when did you play Shinnecock? Uh, 2011. Yeah, right. As well. Yeah. So when we went in 2011, we played um, Pine Valley, Shinnecock, San Francisco Golf Club, which again is very super exclusive golf club, um, Cyprus, um, the Monterey Peninsula Country Club, um, and I've had a few games at Riviera Golf Club as well. Um, and that's that's always a good one to play because that is a course that they do play. Oh, Shinnecock, they played the US Open at this year, but they do play a yearly tournament there. Mm. So, you know, I watch that tournament every year and, and uh, you know, know the course intimately, obviously. Um, and it's, uh, that is uh, one of the best courses, and I was told this by Stevie Allen, who played, played on the US Tour for a while, said to me, that is the best course they play um, on tour outside of the majors. Right. Yeah, so and it is a great course, Riviera. I've also played um, Maui, so where they play at Kapalua there, so yeah. where they play the uh, the Champions event at the start of the year, and that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's always nice to be able to say, oh, I've played that course because, again, it gets a, a fair bit of TV time. So you've covered a few in the States. When are we when are we doing the, the real golf, mate? You know, this Lynx golf stuff that I'm yeah, most well, passionate about. When's that happening? That that needs to happen. And I think, you know, it's, it's probably something that's missing from, you know, my, my golfing... Resume? Yeah, yeah. I think you know you've got to you've got to play St Andrews, and and you've played it many times, obviously. So I'm actually relying on you to set all that up for me. <laughs> um, but I, I think uh, I've never been to Europe, which is which is no good. And you know, there's many many courses over there that you know oh, I think I'd I'd love to play, um, starting with St Andrews. On the previous podcast with Mike Hill, uh, he talked about his time waiting in line at. Uh, I think it was like four, 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning to get a single spot at yep. St. Andrews. Yep. I've only played there the once, and I played there with um, one of the other young boys from Mornington, uh, Stefan. Yep. yep. So, Stephen and, also, yeah. and we, had a, we had a great round there. It was fantastic, but that's for another time. So we'll do, we'll do that one day. We've, we've spoken and joked about that, but we should do it. But Yeah, tying the British Open maybe with it as well. It's, cool. it's just the... It's the Open, all right. Oh, it's not the British sorry. Open. Yes, it's the, the Open. The Open, obviously. You know, I can't have a podcast going out to air and not correct people on that. You know, the Open people listening to this. Not the first time you've corrected me on that. <laughs> it's the Open, um, mate. But before we do any of that, you know, we, you took a phone call there earlier on, and from your wife Julie. She's a big part of your life. Um, What's up with what's? How do we explain you know your life and being a dad and being a husband um, and fitting it into you know being the Morning Peninsula's best golf pro? <laughs> how do you fit that in, mate? Tell us tell us what's going on there. Oh, look, it's, I think so. For the people who know me and um, my wife um, suffers from MS. Yep. So with that, where there's been you know issues over the years. At the moment, she's. Um, 
just had a hip replacement, a much needed hip replacement. So she's coping well with her MS. She went to Moscow uh, four years ago to have a stem cell replacement. So Jill is one of the you know early Australian adopters of that yeah, technology. Yeah, oh, that, yeah, there was. Yeah, one of them. One of them. Yeah. Uh, Christy Cruz was the first, and after seeing a sixty minutes episode of Christy Cruz at um, going to Moscow to have that, it was something that Julie said, "This is what I need to get done," and and it was great. You know, so she went over to Russia for five weeks on her own to have this um, this treatment, leaving you know her family and myself behind, um, and uh, it was a success. In that, since then, there's been no activity of. Um, Further activity of her MS, you know, no extra lesions. Unfortunately, what you what you have before you go, you've got. Yeah. But you know, she's come back with less, with fewer symptoms, which yeah. is great. Uh, since then, though, you know, she and, and it's always a struggle. Since then, she's she's been dealing with some, you know, bad knee and a bad hip, and uh, she's managed to have this hip operation, uh, hip replacement, which is something she needed three years ago, but um, it was very hard to get any surgeons to actually want actually do it. Yeah. Um, until it took about five before we found one. And the problem was now she's had it done, but she wasn't in a great place leading up to it. Three years ago when she was trying to get it done, she was in a much better, you know, physically she was much better than what she is now. Um, she's in hospital still now at the moment, going through rehab through this. she's um, She still needs a, a knee op, which will, you know, once she gets that, that gives her, you know, some mobility in her legs to then uh, learn to, strengthen up or not learn to learn to walk again but strengthen up and walk again um and uh she'd been moved around from hospital to hospital at the moment she went five weeks ago for a, a checkup and never came home so she's uh she's had that hip hop sorry the hip replacement she unfortunately fractured her hip in rehab so that set her back then it dislocated so that set her back and then it needed more adjusting so that set her back um at this stage i've said to the boys i don't think mum will be home by christmas so I've got four boys, as you know, and you know they're uh, doing a great job helping out around the house with cooking and cleaning. And how old are the boys now, mate? Uh, Ryan, sixteen. Nate, fourteen. Uh, Sammy, oh, ten, and and Adam just turned nine. So, but they're you know they cope pretty well there. It's yeah, it's sadly they're probably used to it. They're used to mum being away and used to mum you know having her struggles and yep. um, they cope. You know, it's something that, especially for the younger ones, they don't really know much better. Do you cope all right? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I, and I cope. I do because, again, we've been through it a few times before, but probably I cope because Julie, you know, shows shows a pretty strong front. Mm. And that... Uh, I I've, I think I've, I've maybe had the privilege of meeting Julie maybe once or twice, maybe in the shop when she does, you know, doing some work for you and does your books. And you were telling me before she's still doing your books while she's in hospital, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So the, the call I just took before was uh, the concern was um, – so she's been moved from one hospital to another for rehab, but they can't fit the computer in the ambulance at the moment So uh, because they've got another patient travelling with her in the ambulance. So, yeah, she's – and that's her concern at the moment. I've got accounts to do. That's what she was just saying. I've got accounts to do at the end of the month. And uh, – <laughs> You know, she, it's, it's she is an amazing, an amazing woman. Yeah, and I, I think you know, for her, just doing what she normally does. I know the situation she's in a in a hospital bed doing it all, but um, to continue, um, you know, doing what she's used to doing at home is is probably certainly helps. Yeah. And, and she feels 
you know, she, she's not, she, she's been doing my books for 12, working for me for 12 years since day one. And, and she, the job she does, I can't do, you know, I, I've never been taught to do that side of it. And, uh, you know, it, it really gives her a, a sense of being part of the business and being very useful as well, which is, and so that's, which is fantastic. And the boys are okay. The boys are, yep. Mate, they, they seem like wonderful young men. Um, what, uh, you know, your other, I don't know if it is your other passion, but, you know, it's something, something that you're heavily involved in and you've got the boys in and you do together. What's that? Uh, so we, we train for karate. Yeah. So I've got my two two oldest boys started, oh, you know, when they were very young and uh, been going for about seven years now. And then my two youngest boys started up. And, you know, for me, I, I spent a lot of time in the waiting room watching them. You know, as a dad, you take your kids, drop them off, but you, I, I'd sit in the waiting room and watch them. And then uh, a few years ago, my oldest boy, uh, when Ryan turned 14, he started training with the adults, or 13, 13, started training with the adults. And um, I'd sit there and I'd watch and watch, and I thought, man, I may as well just join him. Why am I? Uh, and it did fascinate me. The, the whole the whole technique and movement of karate fascinated me, and probably in a, in, nearly in a golf sense, because I'm, I'm, you know, you can be technique based in golf. And um, so one day I thought, bugger it. I bought the gi, tied on tied on the white belt, and uh, and and uh, walked into the dojo. And, and that's a tough thing to do, you know. And, and they do say that that your first step in the dojo is tough because, um, you know, I've come from a, a professional in one sport to, you know, becoming a novice yeah. at forty four. Absolutely. In another in another sport, and my I remember Nate at the time because Nate was also training with the adults. He's he's my um, second boy. He's um he, he giggled at me. <laughs> you know, and, and it killed me for the that's first. What you, that's just what you yeah. want. And and so yeah, I started training with my boys, and it, it's pretty special. You know, we uh, we we do a lot of sparring as part of our training, and, and and I've said I've said many times before, there's nothing more special than than fighting with your boys, in that sense, and and it really is good. Except um, Ryan is Ryan's 16 now. He's six foot one and has a decent reach. He's become a bit of a handful for me to fight <laughs> these days. So, um, but yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's something where. Uh, you know the exercise and the fitness side of it is it really interests me. Um, you know, as you get closer to fifty, you you probably need to start doing. You know, if you haven't not doing something, you need to start doing something. Otherwise, you know, you probably start moving the wrong way, uh, fitness wise, weight wise, etc. And uh, and for me, it, it it helps my golf because I'm stronger and more flexible yep. um, and fitter. So that's uh, and as I get closer to fifty, I you know I look at playing some senior golf as well. Nothing too serious, just along the same lines I did with pro-am golf and tournament golf. But you know, there's there's a good opportunity around Australia to play senior events. And mate, mate, uh, mate, can I just pause you there? Yeah, I looked at uh, one of the senior events in the states on the weekend and saw Dave McKenzie up there. Yeah, doing really well. And Dave's killing it. Yeah, he's if you can really kill well. it, you can kill it. Yeah, Dave's probably a bit better golfer than me. And and Dave's been out there. No a long disrespect time, to Dave. You're an excellent golfer. Dave's absolutely, very, Dave's very good. Yeah, and he's uh yeah, he's doing really well. I think, I think you know a lot of guys like Dave, and there's a, there's a few like and myself. But you know, again, for me, it's not as a, a full time base. It'll be just something. It'll be a serious hobby, as golf has always been professionally for me. It's um, you know, it's just something I do outside of being a, a club pro. But there's a lot of guys that are can't wait to turn fifty, you know, because there's there's fairly lucrative, especially in Europe and in in in, in the US, a lucrative senior tour for them to be part of without the the young guns underneath, yeah. you know, hitting at three forty, yeah. um, you know that they can they can compete in and get a good five, six, seven year crack at it. Unless you're Bernard Langer, 
we'll just keep going the way that guy's going and uh, earn some serious serious money and a serious living. He's unbelievable, Bernard Langer. He is yeah. unbelievable. But yeah. we could, uh, yeah, maybe that's the way that we can go and see Europe. Me carrying your golf bag, you playing uh, playing a senior event? seniors events. Okay, we've got a few years to wait, but yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, we do. That, that, yes. that could work. I can see that. Yeah, no, that'd be that'd be great. Um, just on the karate. Sorry for interrupting. Yep. Mentally, does it? You know, karate is a very big sort of mind-oriented uh, discipline as well. Does yeah. that? Yeah, I suppose discipline. Yeah, absolutely. And it's um also too when you're part of a a karate club. You know, there's something special about that. I mean, I've been involved in a lot of clubs, footy clubs, cricket clubs, tennis before I took up golf, golf club, and a lot of golf clubs. But the karate club, something, something again. And um, you know, we are when um, again back to Julie. When, when we were getting Julie's treatment, or when, when Julie, we, um, we were planning to send Julie to Russia. You know, that was an expensive thing to do. But you know, we had a, a fundraising day, which was suggested by our karate instructor, our, our sensei at the time. What's uh, sensei's name? Uh, Matt Charles. Where do you find Matt Charles? Uh, Matt's at uh, Casey Elite Martial Arts. He's now Shihan. Now he's Fifth Dan. Um, Fifth Dan Shihan. Yeah, and he's a he's a he's he's a look. He's a mentor to all four of my boys, and he's fantastic. He's been great to Julie. He's trained Julie over the years, helped her with some recovery stuff. But he uh, helped raise some money by fighting for twelve hours. So he he fought, you know, ninety second rounds straight for twelve hours and raised. Look, we thought he might raise five, six, seven thousand for us. He raised thirty thousand dollars for us. Unbelievable one hit. And uh, yeah, he, he was he was fantastic. So, you know, we, we had a lot of help from a club like that. And as I said, the karate club is a is a great club. It's it's uh, it's it's not for everyone. Mm. And and we do you do things a bit different because you're, you're punching and kicking and, yeah, and all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's it was great to be involved in, and my boys do love it. And the golf club, you, the did they help around that time with yeah, um, Julie? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so. Again, you know, everyone knew it got to a stage where a lot knew that Julie were, or a few knew that Julie was going to Russia, and you know, it was an expensive deal. And um, uh, we had the, the captain of the time, Craig Craig Caulfield, and the president of the time, Dave Cornell, decided that they'll run a fundraiser. And I actually said to him, "Look, that's not. It's uh, it's we'll deal with it. It's it's uh, you know, whatever we have to do, sell the house, whatever, you know, sell a car. Didn't want to do that, but yeah, it's uh." Um, you know, but I, 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 they got back to me and said, "Well, bad luck. We're going to do it anyway." So we ran a day there, and, and I didn't have to do anything. I just had to sit back and watch. And uh, you know, it was a massive day—250 plus players. I had, I, had, I had people playing. I, had, you know, guys I grew up playing with I hadn't seen for 10, 15 years come and played. And the support I got that day, and we got as a family that day, was unbelievable. And they raised, you know, forty thousand dollars. So suddenly, you know, Julie's trip was paid for. Yeah. You know, it's uh, and that was for us was massive. Um, so what happens when you're a busy uh, golf entrepreneur? People want you. <laughs> sorry, we won't edit that out. But uh, sorry, that was right at an important time. Um, yeah. So the club, the club were amazing, and uh, it, it's just to see how. You know, everyone gets behind it, and you got behind it. You were, you helped out, and you know, friends of yours helped out um, to help you know raise that money. That was, um, you know, it's amazing to see a club just band together and help out one of their own. Well, those guys down there, I know them, you know, well, and you know, the the nice 
thing for me is when I go back to Mornington Golf Club and see those boys that I spent probably maybe eight or nine years playing golf in and around and playing pennant is that it, they never make you feel like you've never not been there. Yeah. And uh, it's just like yesterday that I was down there and they're, they're fantastic fellas. They're very fantastic if you like a beer, which is not something that I do anymore, but, um, you know, they love their social activities. They love having a, a playing golf and uh, having a few wages and they make the experience down there as a member extremely uh, rewarding and fun and obviously, you know, support their own, which is really, really important and really nice to hear. And just to recount that, you know, it was a few years ago now, but um, it was really nice to hear. Now, you talked about your passions. You, you giggled when you said sell a car. Yeah. You got two other passions that we'll touch on. Um, one golf related, one not golf related. Let's go to the car part of it. You know, you're a car nut, which is probably why we get on so well because I was a bit of a car nut and, you know, I used to like turning up with an AMG there for you to have a look at. Yeah, only, only time I ever drove Mercedes when you'd bring one down for me to drive. <laughs> yeah. Although I'd, I'd, I just, I've just bought another car but and I, I looked at a Mercedes but I couldn't see myself as a Mercedes driver. No, you're not a Mercedes driver. Which is, I, I don't know what that exactly means. But, um, no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I've got, I've got a couple of cars and uh, I've got a, uh, one of the last Monaros, V8 Monaro, uh, in a nice yellow which uh, stands out a bit. So I, I don't tend to buy just the average car. So that, uh, that's been sitting in my garage. doesn't get driven too often. It's been sitting there for, uh, for a while. Um, I've had that oh, 10 years now, maybe 11 years. So, yeah, one of the last ones. Um, and I've just upgraded. I've got a little I bought a Ford Focus RS, which is, you know, Ford Focus is a little hatchback and nothing exciting, but the RS version of this, of the Focus, is a, is a great car. So you just love your cars? You I know. do, I do. I don't know much about, I don't know, technically I don't know a lot about them. I love driving them and uh, I love having nice cars and fast cars and, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I've never had just your average car, I suppose. <laughs> well, mate, you've, you work very hard and, um, you know, I'd, you, your extravagances are, uh, you know, few and far between. So if that's the one, mate, that's, uh, that's your thing. Make it your thing. Yeah. You do have another extravagance, old golf clubs. What's yes. that about? What's that about, mate? <laughs> okay, so uh, I, uh, with a, a couple of my mates, uh, we've, uh, we, we play a, a few retro days, we'll call them, so where we, we, we get our old golf clubs together, clubs that we would use in the 80s, not, nothing later than the 80s, nothing hickory, nothing sort of 60s, 70s, but clubs that we used, I suppose, when we, we used growing up. And lately, I, I've bought clubs lately that I wanted as a, as a kid but could never afford them. Yeah. Uh, picked up a, a nice set of uh, Tour Edition blades recently. And, and I remember as a kid, I wanted Tour Edition blades, but I couldn't afford them. Mm. Couldn't afford them. And, you know, it's uh, I think the Shark used them at, at one stage. And so I got a set of those. My, my first ever pro had a set of those. Uh, the, yeah. big, the big red and white sporting bag and a set of Tour Edition blades. Yeah, I'm on the hunt for a sporting bag actually at the moment. But, uh, yeah, so I, 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 bought, I bought those recently. I, I just picked up a... Um, a persimmon driver, Tommy Armour persimmon driver, which has never been hit. It's brand new. What? Yeah, got it from the states on eBay from the states. So it's I still haven't hit it. Um, the guys I play with, Mark Williamson, the pro at Sorrento, Willow's picked up uh, for us. I think we've we've got every Ballada left on eBay actually. I think. <laughs> so we just picked up. He picked up six dozen Maxfly HT Balladas. 
I have a sleeve of those at home in my yep. parents' house, my dad's house, um, with W Dunk printed on the side of it. W Dunk? Yep. Very go. good. So you won't be using those. I won't, be, I won't no. be using those. No. So, you know, we go out and play these uh, these 80s rounds. There's no no lob wedge, no no uh, laser binoculars. Um, you know, you're, you're trying to you're trying desperately to hit a uh, to flush a flush a ballada out of the screws, which That's is a great cool. feeling. A great feeling, and, and I, th- I still think you can't beat that that feel of uh, you know, and, and obviously the term out of the screws comes from those persimmon blocks years ago. But uh, it's a different game. It's a game where you know, and I, and I played. I played often. I was a scratch marker and a one marker playing with that kind of gear years ago. And I play it now and think, wow, how, how you know? But you just obviously learn to use the equipment you had, and that, that's all we knew at that time. Um, you know, the, the focus on it's, to me when I play these these retro days, I don't focus so hard on my golf swing like I do when I'm playing um, with the equipment now. But I focus more on just hitting it out of the middle, yeah. just middling the shot. Yeah. And and that style of golf, there's, there's something that I probably I enjoy both styles. Yeah. But I enjoy, I do enjoy just the one where you where you you're not you're zoned out on your swing and you're just trying to hit the middle. Makes you appreciate. You know the guys back in that era when you know oh, you and absolutely. I were growing up and watching. You know, like the yeah, you know the Bayesteroses and the Trevinos, and you know you look yeah. at some of their actions that were all different. Yep, but they, they just centered the ball and yep made work, made work. the number. They worked it. They worked the ball. You know, which is a little harder to do now. Um, you know, the Ballada. You know, it's it wasn't a great ball really compared to what's around now. Obviously. Um, you know, because you go a few a few around as well, so it was a bit more a bit more costly. But uh, it, it's, uh, you know, and the difference between, you know, thinking about distance now, the difference between hitting the combination of an old driver and an old ball is, it's, you know, you hit it 20% shorter now. Mm. Maybe not so much with the irons. Maybe that's more around 10 15%. But with the driver, it's, it's an easy 20 25% shorter. Do you think that there's any call for or requirement in the pro uh, ranks for a, a rollback on the balls? Oh, I think it'd be hard to do now. I, I think I, I don't think it needs to advance any further. Yeah. And obviously, that, that a lot of courses are being changed to cope with with um, how far these guys are hitting it. Part of the thrill of the game for spectators is is probably how far they hit it as well. Yep. So, you know, if if they weren't hitting it as far, I, I think it's just it's gone so far now that they can't. It'd be a bit odd to roll it back. Mm. I, I don't know. It'd, it'd, <laughs> Decent experiment, and I've you know they've spoken about it, but um, you know part of the joy of spectating um, is to see how far DJ hits it. Um, you know, it's uh, and they are they're hitting it miles now. That was an interesting video to watch. I don't know if you saw it with Herbie and um, yeah, that was great. Yeah, and and well worth the watch. Um, so what we're talking about there is Lucas Herbert um, went down onto the tee at uh, Commonwealth Golf Club with the track man, and he got. Ballatas and the old persimmon blocks, and then his tour ball and his you know tailor-made driver that he uses, and they just measured all of the differences in the numbers, the the, the spin rates, the distances, and uh, it was really interesting to see. So you can find that you know through Golf Australia actually you can find that, but uh, yeah it was cool and really highlighted how hard that club was to hit. Yeah, that old club was yeah. to hit, and, and uh, I know Lucas. You know, it took him a bit to adjust. He got yeah. it by the end, yeah. but it took him a bit to adjust. But he had to, if I remember rightly, he had to adjust his swing. You know, like yeah. just focus on middling the ball, like what yep. you were saying. You know, not. Yep. And I think he made technical. that comment. I think he made that comment as well. And um, you know, it's probably a shame that the young golfers now don't have that 
Ballada persimmon sort of experience. Yeah, it'd be well worth, you know. And I've, funny, I've encouraged a few of the juniors at our club and to go and buy a cheap wooden block. Yeah, you know, go and buy some old block. And I've got plenty, and I've, I've lent them, lent them. I've got a few sets now of them. Lent them uh, some clubs. So it's uh, it's 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 a different game, and you know, it's a, it's a new experience for for them. It's an old experience for me, and uh, I'm a very nostalgic kind of person. So I love going back to those old clubs and remembering what it was like and remember how well I used them at the time. Uh, your putters, you're still, you're still collecting as many Scotty Camerons as you can? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've got a, you know, being a, having my, my Titleist deal, I've, I've always, uh, they've looked after me well with Scotty Cameron putters, but every now and then uh, a couple of limited edition ones I've put in the bag over the years. Not for, not much lately now. Um, I sort of, I guess I've sort of stopped, stopped at about, probably about 35 of them. I think, and uh, but I've got yeah, got some nice Scotty Camerons, and the the problem is I um I don't change putters very often. I am um, I'm sort of a creature of habit and as well, a bit like you, and and I uh you know I've got I've got putters I've never used. I change putters often. Yeah, okay. It's, it's yeah. a part that I do change. Yeah, I, I find it hard to change a putter. It's 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 a it's it's something that uh, yeah it's I, I tend to just stick with one. And I don't blame the putter too often. And I do believe in honeymoon periods of putters. I know I've had some good scores using a putter for the first time ever. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's just a, something I've collected. Look, in, in collecting them as well, with four boys, I, I sort of thought, you know, they're going to have some uh, – I've still got all my golf clubs that Tyler's have given me over the years. You know, I never haven't sold any off or, or you know – I'll give them away. And I thought, well, I've got four boys. I'll, I'll have plenty of clubs and putters and wedges to choose from. Only one problem with that. They're not playing. They're not playing. They're not playing. Yeah. My, my Sammy, my ten-year-old plays, so he's he he's he might be the one, and, he, and and doing well. I've sent him elsewhere to get lessons, and uh, yeah, and he's enjoying it as well. Just on the juniors before we finish up, because you've got to go and play. Yep. Um, how many juniors do you have down there at Mornington? Active? Oh, active. You know, we've got we're the only club around with two junior pennant sides playing in the comp. Um, so you know we've got some good good young juniors. Active, there's, there's about 120 juniors, but active is probably about oh, a little less than half of that. You know, um, as far as actively getting a handicap, actively playing in the comps yep. and that sort of thing. So, what do you do for them down there? What do you have a, a development squad? Or? Yep, yep. So once a month we run a development squad, and um, part of that is. Is oh, the big part of that is, is is teaching them to practice properly, and, and and I really just show them how I would practice and or used to practice when I was practicing a lot, and um, we go through a lot of a lot of um, deliberate practice practice um, sessions, teach them something new. You know, they're pretty skilled. Some of these kids, it's good to see. Um, we had a session the other day where it rained, so I just I took took a handful of them into the locker room. We sat down and had a chat about golf, and you know, I was I was teaching them to talking about maybe dreaming big because I don't think any of them really were at that stage and you know if, if golf's something you want to do you know you know dream a little dream a little higher than maybe you, you are at the moment because it's something I didn't really do yeah I grew up playing golf with with Ogilvy and with Steve Allen was the, the young gun at my golf club and Steve kicked on to be a very good golfer in the Australian Open in 2002 and um but he was one I saw you know when we were practicing he was he was the one that was dreaming big, but the rest of us weren't. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and he did kick on. So I, I spoke to the kids about that. But, yeah, we run some good sessions every month, and um, we've got a couple of good pennant teams running down there, and and it's good to see. It's really good to see. And they're, and they're good kids. They're really good kids. And you get a lot of good kids at golf clubs anyway. But, um, yeah, we're 
We're doing well as the juniors there. It's a great environment for kids to be around because uh, they get exposed to, you know, a lot of good practices, a lot of good, um, you know, behavioural elements, you know, through the etiquette of the game. Yep. You know, it's a place where, you know, there are some regulations and some rules and behavioural requirements and, and that really is a... I remember it was a strong part of my upbringing, you know, in, in being respectful um, of the course, being respectful of the people around me, which were usually always adults. So it's a great environment for kids to be around a golf club and uh, I love it. Um, you know, my son's 19. He doesn't play golf, but, you know, he's doing his own thing, so be it. But uh, I just get a big buzz when I when I hear about juniors playing golf and I see young people coming into my environment and playing golf um, who are young talk to parents who you know thinking about getting their kids into into golf um just a great way to experience uh life and uh, and a beautiful game yeah, and the club environment you know i think yeah it's it's a great i've grown up in club environments and, and mainly golf clubs and yeah it's it's been good for me well mate unless there's anything that you you want to talk about other than that i think i need to let you get down to the range warm up and uh as you said the other day go and shoot the course record around this uh course I did want to bring up one thing. Oh yes, far yeah, away. Yes, one please, thing please. is, uh, and uh, was the first time I ever played golf with you. Yes, remember that club championships round one of the club championships at Mornington. We stood up on the first, and I said to you, "Keep talking." I, I didn't know you at that stage. <laughs> I didn't know you well, and I and I remember saying to you, "I've I've heard you're the longest driver in the club." Right. And to uh, to a back right pin on the first hole, par four, about three hundred, probably playing about three hundred twenty. You hit it to about seven foot. Mm. I was pretty impressed first up. It was a good first impression. Thank you, mate. And I do remember that. Of course I do. I also remember, um, I don't want to talk about me, but I remember playing with a couple of the guys down there, Chad and a few of the other, you know, the Saturday afternoon regulars who didn't know me and they're going, who's this fellow? And I pulled out a ping ISI one iron off the first tee and they looked at me, you know. Because no one hits iron off the first tee. Shaking their heads and, you know, and I knocked it down sort of to the, you know, towards the front of the green and they're like, oh, okay. So uh, I remember that. But, mate, I, I remember having fun Sunday afternoons out there with a bag of balls and uh, you and I as the sun going down and, and trying to outdrive each other, trying to hit that uh, back pin on the first green there at Mornington, you know, 302 metres. Um, longer to that back pin. Longer to the back <laughs> yeah. pin. Uh, I love it and I still love doing that and uh, I think last time I was down there and I played and I hit one to the front edge of the green and I think I might have even sent you a photo just to remind you that, yeah, still got it. You duffed the chip and three putter, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the other part of the story that, yeah, you probably, now we've got yes. everyone's you know, attention about my driving prowess is I do remember the time when you were on the lesson <laughs> tee, which is near the second tee and, you know, I was chipping up from you know just five meters off the front of the green and you're tapping your you know client on the shoulder saying if you want to learn how not to chip turn around and watch, watch this, this fella and i also remember uh craig fitch one of the other guys walking up off the second tee saying to my playing partner who i was probably playing a match against or something going just lock him in for a five <laughs> so anyway drive for yeah, show drive for show, drive for show. For dough. Yep. <laughs> anyway it's better now it's better now and certainly playing at a golf course like we're at now certainly helps uh good to hear helps that and um but thank you i think last time we got together on the course you gave me a bit of a chipping lesson and um and it has got better it has got no better doubt. yeah it's got better yeah. it's still not great but it's better very good <laughs> some new wedges always help that mike Hey, mate, I really appreciate uh, the time. It's been super insightful for me to spend the time and hear that story about, you know, Royal Melbourne, 
you know, your journey now at Mornington and how passionate those guys are about you and how passionate you are for the members at Mornington. It's a great place. You should go there. Your story around, around Julie and the family is heart filling in 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 a in a hard way but a really positive way of just how you know you, you are with your boys and the family and how julie is and how together you just make it work and you know you, you just get on with it like uh it's not easy i know that and you never said it was but you just get on with life and make it happen mate and it's it's super super um powerful stuff for people to hear and you know they probably don't for many don't know and uh it's really really nice appreciate your time mate go out and play well let's have a game soon thanks for joining the my love of golf podcast people episode whatever episode this is is now done and um thank you mate thanks oscar love you